Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Weber. Thanks for joining me. I've got a little bit longer podcast this week, but I think I've got some good material for you to listen to and get you thinking about umpiring here as we head toward the off season. I know there's some fall baseball going on. Maybe you're picking up a few games here and there, especially if you don't officiate other sports out there. It's a good way to make a little bit of extra money and improve your skills as well along the way. So if you haven't done that, I suggest that you, you look at that. Maybe you're thinking about uh, going to a camp. I know there's still some camps that are open out there for different levels uh, through October. Uh, I've got one that I'm helping out with the first weekend in October uh, for some newer officials as well that's part of uh, Bruce Stone Jr.'s two- and three-man camp that he runs um, at one of our local universities here in Grand Rapids. It's a great camp as well. Um, I think it's pretty much filled up now, but there might be a little bit of some openings there if you wanted to travel to Grand Rapids, Michigan and check that out and get in front of some college assigners and some high school assigners and things like that if you're from around here or just you know want the opportunity but i also bet that there's some stuff in your area too if you're from farther away um you just got to do some google searches out there or something or talk to some of your umpire uh colleagues and see what they know about and uh you know if you're looking to improve uh your standing in your associations then you should get in front of those assigners if they're going to be there and improve your skills um you know, and improve them so that you can work on stuff during the fall as well, all right? So some stuff to think about. It's good to go to the camps. That's, it's hard for assigners to get out there and see everybody work all kinds of games. And, you know, they do what they can, and other observers out there that might report back to them as well. And if they can see you firsthand, and also they see that you're just working to get better at your craft, man. I mean, that's that's a big thing too. Um, you want guys out there that are always trying to get better and don't think that they've learned everything. I know I haven't learned everything, so I learn something you know, every time I go to a camp, and um, I learn a lot most every time I work a baseball game, for that matter. So some stuff to think about. Anyway, in this episode, I got some great uh, listener feedback out there from several guys. Uh, Robert Fobian and Scott Ordaway and Steve Dobek all sent me messages and I, uh, you know, gave my verbal responses to those. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll find them kind of interesting. And maybe if you have some opinions out there, uh, you might try to contact me as well through email or through the Facebook page or leave me a voicemail message through the Anchor app. Those are all great ways to do it. And uh, I love that kind of stuff. And uh, it gives me some some fodder for future episodes as well. I also have a little segment on uh, new COVID protocols that are coming down or starting to come down in college baseball that I find uh, a little bit interesting. Some food for thought on that as well. So hopefully that entices you a little bit. You can sit back and listen to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. So it's that time of the year again when college umpire assigners are getting their schedules and and preparing to get ready to start scheduling games for the spring. And I'm sure it's a, a long, complicated process for them. But I've seen some information come through, um, at least here for the Midwest collegiate umpires, um, that I found kind of interesting. Uh, I, I always thought, man, 
and I thought this a couple of weeks ago, I wouldn't be surprised um, with the way things are going with the COVID vaccine and uh, people being required to have it. If they had something like that for different officials and different sports, you can kind of see that. And sure enough, um, it looks like that might be the case in many of the conferences, particularly some of the Division One conferences for college baseball. Um, or at least that, you know, umpires who've been fully vaccinated are going to be exempt from testing, which is good if you are, you know, fully vaccinated. And if you're not, you're going to be required to test regularly. Um, and it's going to be at your own expense, uh, which, you know, that could be kind of pricey um, and maybe not worthwhile for those that are not wanting to be um, vaccinated, which I know there's some different opinions out there. and I'm not going to get into all of that. Um, but nonetheless, um, the conferences uh, can decide who they want to employ to officiate their sports or, you know, umpire their baseball games. And if they just want people that are um, vaccinated, that's their choice. I mean, that's a choice with a lot of um, jobs out there. So something to keep in mind. Um, I don't think that will work its way down to high school sports or other things um, because that's a whole other ball of wax, I guess. But for college sports, they can definitely be um, a little more picky, especially at the very high levels of it. So that's something to keep in mind if you're somebody that works college baseball. Um, it might be different on the West Coast. It might be different in the southern parts of the country. But here in the uh, Midwest um, and on the East Coast, uh, that seems to be the way things are moving, I guess. I guess a good thing, too, is that it looks like for the conferences that either, you know, maybe had four umpires before, they're working four-man crew, um, they're probably going to be going back to that. Uh, the pay was uh, reduced down a bit uh, for this COVID year, and it looks like it might be going back up to what it was pre-COVID or, or maybe even a little bit higher. So that's good, too. And, and that um, provides opportunities for everybody below, you know. And even if you're not somebody that's going to, you know, work the – the Big 12 or the Big 10 or the Big East or something like that, um, if they go to four umpires for, back to four umpires for the Big 12 and the Big 10 and stuff, then guys got to get moved up from, you know, maybe mid-major D1 games and that moves people up from D2 games and that moves people up from D3 and NAIA and JUCO and all that kind of stuff. So that gives, you know, more opportunities to more guys and that's always a good thing. So, um, Hopefully there's enough guys out there, of course, to, to fill all that. And some guys that maybe took last year off will be will be coming back. So very interesting and um, I think more of the trend that we might see coming in the spring. So last year I was lucky enough to umpire some games in the Mid-American Conference or the, the MAC as we call it around here. And they have um, some new protocols for officials in field hockey, men's and women's soccer, volleyball, wrestling, lacrosse, softball, and baseball for this next year. Um, and they sent out um, information about their protocols, and um, they have new requirements to receive assignments. So it, you know, basically it says, in order to receive assignments to officiate Mid-American Conference competitions in 2021-22, all officials must be fully vaccinated for COVID-19 and must submit an affirmation statement and proof of COVID-19 vaccination to the Mid-American Conference for clearance and approval to receive assignments. Until such clearance is provided, officials may not receive or accept assignments to officiate Mid-American Conference competition. 
now there are some exceptions. So unvaccinated officials may receive assignments um, for competitions during the season only if unable to receive COVID-19 vaccination due to a verified medical condition that prevents you from getting it, religious beliefs that pre- prevent you from um, having the vaccination, um, or other immunizing agents or things like that. So that would be it, and you'd have to um, submit proof of that as well. Unvaccinated officials that do not meet the above requirements and conditions may not officiate mid-American conference competitions until further notice. So that's going to, you know, definitely change the game for a few people out there and definitely very interesting. I don't know how many other conferences are going to do similar things, but I think there might be more that do than don't. Okay, so um, interesting, interesting turn of events, I think. But, you know, if it's keeping people safe out there and and they're worried about their their student athletes and they're worried about, you know, the people in their stadiums and and their locker rooms and everything else, I can see why they're going that way. They have a right to do that. And uh, it's their institutions. So definitely something to keep in mind. Once again, if you are a collegiate official of any sort. As always, I'd love to hear your opinions on, on these things. Um, I'm not looking to have a debate on COVID-19 and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I know one thing. Um, officiating with the mask on and all the other things we had to go through this last year was not the most enjoyable thing to do. And if we can move past that and uh, have people able to be safe without having masks and such, and, and it comes down to the vaccinations, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm fine with that because um, I would like things to get back to some normalcy sooner rather than later myself. So anyway, found that stuff interesting. I thought I'd share that with you, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that you found it a little bit interesting as well. So I was lucky this past episode. I got two emails from listeners, and the other one that I got was from Scott Ordway, and he um, sent me an email saying that you know he's liking the the show, which I really appreciate. And he said uh, he's got a couple of questions here on check swings. One, how do you learn when to ask your partner about a check swing when you are behind the plate? Two. Are there any tips to seeing them well from behind the plate? And three, have you experienced partners that get annoyed when you ask for help? All very good questions, Scott, and I'll give you my opinions on them. All right, so one, how do you learn when to ask your partner about a check swing when you are behind the plate? Hey, man, if you get blocked out, then go to your partner, okay? If you think there's a the guy might have swung, and there's, you know, a reasonable doubt that he might have swung. Uh, don't hesitate. Go to your partner. And I always pregame with my partner. Just give me whatever you got. All right. And I tell my partner, too, that, um, you know, I will give you whatever I have. If I'm in the field, I don't care what spot I'm in. Um, that's what it is. Now, in college baseball, if the catcher or the head coach asks you to go, you have to go by rule. All right. Um, that's not the case at other levels. Well, I don't know about the professional level because I'm not a pro, but uh, not at the other amateur levels nonetheless, all right? So, um, you know, there are times where, you know, how do you see it better? Man, if you're tracking the ball well, calling your balls and strikes, um, you know, you're tracking it in, but you also, your peripherals are working well, and you get a pretty good 
view sometimes. It's like, you know, I feel like I see sex swings well if I'm tracking it well and calling a good zone for a particular game. So, um, you know, you just kind of know if, like, you felt like he went past that front hip or something or he made a good offer at the ball of some sort, um, especially also if you're calling if a guy uh, bunted at a ball. I mean, you can see that a little bit easier, I think, sometimes than uh, a guy out in the field. Um, then you just go get it. You, you know, you point at it. You say, yes, he did. Boom, and you get your strike there. All right? So I guess that response, you know, goes into your, your second part of your question. Are there any tips seeing the well from behind the plate? Um, you know, it's got to be kind of just a gut thing, I think, um, as well. You know, like I say, if you're going well, you, you see it well, and, and you do it. Now, you always get people that don't like it when you do that, especially on a close one. Like, hey, why can't you get help? How can you see that? Well, if you've got it, uh, there you go. I had that situation in a summer collegiate game where um, a left-handed batter was up. And he, man, he went around like almost past his shoulder, all right? And I got it. To me, it was like clear as day kind of, you know, check swing. And I got it. Don't need to go to my partner. Um, and he was complaining about it like, hey, how can you not go? I'm like, I, if I think you swung, I think you swung, you know? Also, he's arguing about strikes when he, when he does that. But nonetheless, I'm just like, dude, you know, I thought you swung. So that's what I'm going to call. I mean, what else am I going to do? If I didn't think you swung, then I, I'm not going to call it. I don't have to go to my partner on that, but you know, if I can get it, I'm going to get it. And the catcher is certainly going to be okay with that, right? So he had a problem with this. Now, obviously, you know, if you're if you got a lefty up and you're working two man and your partner's an A, you know, I still think you can see pretty well from down there in A. Some go, how can you see that? You know, when it's the opposite and guys in the field, they complain about that stuff. But anybody that's umpired for a decent amount of time, you know that. If you're out there, you got an opinion, man. You can tell, you know, if you kind of offered at it or not. And you just go with whatever your gut reaction is. All right? Um, have I experienced partners, this is number three, uh, that get annoyed when you ask for help? Not really. I mean, there are some of those guys out there. Uh, if that's the case, you know, they need to, like, get off of that, man. I mean, you know, you, you, you stand by it. I've had it where I've called a strike out there and somebody, um, this was in a high school game this year, too. Um, I was in C, and I think there was a, um, a, a righty up or something, and I thought he swung. They came to me. I got that strike, and, um, you know, the guy's complaining about it. And I'm like, hey, you know, you know, he wanted me to come. That's what it is, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna, to me, it's a balls and strike thing, too. So you shut that stuff down right away as somebody starts complaining about that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean that that's um it, it can be tough, but uh you know you you get what what you what you see and it's usually the best response is whatever your gut reaction was right away. Bruce Stones told me that too. You know, he's a great umpire, you know, one of my big mentors, and he's mentioned whatever your gut reaction is is usually the thing you got to go with and that's usually the right thing. And of course, they've done research and scientific studies on check swings and stuff. And uh, usually, like 90-something percent of the time, it might be 95, it might be 97. It's some ridiculously high number. Even when it doesn't look like a guy checked a swing, if you really slowed it down and looked at it all, like 97% of the time, they swung anyway. So here's the thing. When in doubt, the dude swung. <laughs> okay? And um, it's better to err on that side of things. Yes, he did. 
And if somebody gives you crap on it, you give them a ball strike warning and say, we're not arguing balls and strikes, all right? And if they have such a problem, don't check your swing. Swing or don't swing, man. I mean, why are they leaving it up to us? Is this like on, you know, called third strikes when you're working, working the dish, right? I mean, you know, swing the bat, right? Swing it for real or don't swing it at all. So don't leave it up to me if you swung or not. I mean, it's not my fault. They obviously thought it was reasonable enough to start a swing, okay? Um, and, and the pitch was all right and that kind of stuff. So there you go. Um, I guess uh, I hope that answers what uh, you're asking there, Scott. Um, and to me, um, when you're out in the field too, um, I kind of go with uh, the college definition of a check swing, which is bat head past the front hip all right i think that's very fair it doesn't matter where they are in the batter's box if that's the case i get that and i feel like i get them pretty well most of the time but there's always somebody wanting to complain you just put them in their place man if that's the case all right so thanks for the question scott and again anybody else out there feel free to chime in you know respond back to the stuff i was talking about and please by all means all you guys out there uh communicate with me Shoot me an email about something. Um, leave me a voicemail on the Anchor app and let me know what you're thinking about and what you would like me to talk about on the show. All right? Thanks, Scott. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, I got a couple of uh, listener emails from my last episode, which I'm very pleased uh, to get. And if you ever want to send me an email, uh, if you never have, or if you have before and you just want to do it again, I'm always looking for those, and um, I love responding to them, and it gives me a, a segment or two to do something with, and lots of times it makes me think of some things that I hadn't thought about before. And uh, I particularly like it because I know it's relevant to some people out there. So I got an email from Robert Fobin. And uh, he's sent me some emails and stuff before, and he's a good listener and everything. And he had some issues, uh, I guess they're issues, you know, a situation or two, uh, that he dealt with with uh, a men's league game. So I'll just read you um, some excerpts from his email so you kind of get the idea. And then, you know, I'll give my opinion about it. Um, Of course, if you guys have opinions about my opinions, feel free to send me some messages or leave me a voicemail or something like that uh, on the Anchor app if you want to. So anyway, this is what uh, Robert said. So I had a men's league um, rut game this week, 60 plus men, and I had something happen that has not happened to me before. I had static from both dugouts regarding my strike zone. They were not challenging me nor questioning me it was more talk amongst themselves when guys were called out looking that hey come on now he meaning me has been calling that all day out there you got to swing at those to me that sounds pretty good robert okay if guys are saying that uh, i got no problem with that but he says now kevin i am a low strike umpire and i consistently call a ball's diameter down from the lowest point of the batter's knee 
on a ball's diameter down from the top of the zone, as defined by each various rule book. Is that right or wrong? I don't know, but I am consistent, and that is my zone. I aim to call a big zone for 12U, um, the lowest level I work, and then gradually tighten my zone as the players get older and more skilled. All right, so I'll stop right there. He's got more to the email. I'll get to in a, in a moment. Um, that strikes on. Let, let's see what the deal is. Um, a ball below the lowest point of the knee. Um, you know, there are some games, maybe some 12U games or other levels too, especially younger guys, where, man, maybe that's what you need. Uh, but, you know, the hollow of the knee is like just below the knee. And then a ball under that, that's getting kind of low. That's almost to me like just above mid, mid-calf. I don't know if that's what you're saying. That's what it sounds like, what you're saying there. To me, that's too low, okay? Um, not that somebody can't hit it. Somebody can hit all kinds of stuff. That's always a thing about strikes that we have to remember. And just It doesn't have to be a strike for somebody to hit it well. I mean, it can be in, out, up, down, whatever. Uh, but I think that might be a little low. Uh, rule of thumb. Uh, or, you know, some things that I've learned or been taught. Um, you know, it's where if the catcher is catching it in front of his knee of his shin guard, which is usually corresponding to the knee area of almost every hitter, no matter what their height is, then you're probably in a good spot there. And, of course, it is also determined how well the catcher receives it. If he's that turning that glove down and driving the ball into the into the dirt, and maybe making a pitch right at the knees look like a ball, then it's really hard to give that. I mean, if he's that poor, then you're just going to be in for a long day. Um, so, you know, you've got to keep the thumb under it and keep it looking pretty good. So to me, I mean, it's it's just under the kneecap. Um, is probably about as low as you want to go. Um, I think that is a, an issue with a lot of umpires that I see is calling some pitches a little too low, and I know I've done that before too, uh, but uh, that might be too low, okay? Uh, especially, you know, at the higher levels, okay? But if you do consistently call it in the same spot, I guess that's okay. Anyway, so back to the game above. I don't like to make changing uh, changes to my zone during the game, especially late, but I do listen without reacting to what those inside the fences say. If I hear something consistently that those inside the fence, fences uh, disagree with, I make mental notes, talk to my partner post game, and go from there looking ahead to the next game. In this case, during the post game, I told my partner about the passive-aggressive remarks about my calling of outside pitches, and his reaction it was, and this is a guy who works D3, I guess, so has some experience, was to say, you weren't calling enough outside. You need to be a ball's diameter off the plate outside and a ball and a half diameter off the plate inside i have players and coaches complaining i'm calling it too far outside and i have veteran partner telling me i'm not outside enough what am i going uh, what am i doing with all of this feedback okay so you know we talk about the gutter right the area between a properly lined batter's box and the plate which should be three inches okay so that is, that's almost, uh, that's a ball and a half or maybe a little more than that. Um, if you put, I mean, it might be two, actually. I haven't really looked at that lately. Uh, but you can get away a little bit in the gutter in certain situations. You know, maybe a men's league like that that's maybe if they're not as, you know, they're not as skilled now as they once were 
or younger levels, that's okay. Um, if you're doing some higher level stuff, they want you to pretty much just call it straight up, man. If it if it's hit if it's hitting the corners, it's hitting the corners. If it's not, it's not. You know, I mean, you gotta call a legitimate strike zone uh, for those higher level games that you might work. So. I don't know, you know. I mean, it, it all it does depend a little bit sometimes on the um, on the level you're working. You can get away sometimes with a ball off the plate on the outside, um, and sometimes you need to to keep that game moving. But I don't know. I mean, if you're going to get a lot of flack from people, um, maybe that's not worth it either. You know, if pitchers are able to hit spots and get it on the corners then you should let them hit the spots i mean otherwise they're gonna take advantage of that and keep moving it out there and see how far out you can go all right um now dugouts they can't see the in and out very well that's why they're always complaining about balls that are six inches inside that they think are a strike or something like that right so um you can uh fudge a little bit on that the only people that really know that are the catchers and the hitters know if they're getting hosed on a deal a little bit but uh, you know they usually We'll just take it. So I don't know. I mean, he, he you know, maybe for that level, um, and maybe he's worked that uh, more than you have. I don't know for sure. Maybe that is appropriate. Um, so I, I would, you know, take that into consideration. Now, the um, the low strike, I, I don't know, you know. Um, high strikes, too, you know, it should be under their hands, pretty much any level, I, I'd say. You know, if, you, if you're keeping it under their hands, that's legitimate. Um, obviously, the, the harder guys throw, um, you can't really, you cannot go get in that high pitch because that's a tough one to get around on. So you got to make the high one legit. But that is a pitch that uh, I am told by a lot of people, and maybe even me as well, uh, that we miss that high one f- frequently. We don't get enough high strikes that we should get. So that's always something to consider. So, um, and we probably get too many low ones. So the other thing I've been told by coaches, uh, I've heard from, you know, college coaches as well. They don't, they're not so worried about not getting the high strike. They just want to make sure they get legitimate low strikes because that's where they're telling their pitchers to pitch, right? That's where they want to keep the ball. That's the safe place to keep it so it doesn't leave the yard or, you know, end up in the gaps and down the lines too often, right, and get laser beams going all over the place. So they're, you know, pitching coaches and, and head coaches, they want their pitchers to, to work low, right? They're not saying, hey, throw that one up by his shoulders. I mean, that's not what they're doing. So, um yeah, you know, that. those are a few things there to, to keep in mind. So Robert says, in closing, what tips do you have for working men's leagues? I've tried to be friendly. I've tried being diplomatic. I've tried being the red ass. Nothing seems effective. I know there are guys who refuse to work men's league because of the challenges of game management, but I'd rather use these men leagues, men's league games as an opportunity to learn effective game management. I think you're right on there, man. Don't give up those games. Uh, work them and see what you can do. You know, the clientele, I mean, um, guys are trying to relive some of their glory out there. Sometimes they get a little bit ultra competitive for, you know, uh, a 6 or 7 o'clock game on Tuesday night or something like that, and, or they act like it's the seventh game of the World Series. Um, you know, I, I think the way you handle it is the way you handle, you should handle almost every game. You know, you you let them, um, you're nice and, and professional with them and cordial until somebody um, acts out of line and then you put them in their place. I mean, that's what you got to do. Um, and they'll respect that. And you got to do it professionally, just like you would if you're working a high school game or a college game or, you know, some tournament game. 
So you've got to, you know, you're not going in there looking to be a jerk. But as soon as they start turning on you, which they do sometimes, or start complaining, hey, we're not having that. You know, you, you do it. Give your boss strikes warnings if you need to do that or any other warnings. And uh, don't be afraid to run somebody. I've, all, I've been working in men's league for, you know, many years now. And uh, I think I've ejected one guy from a men's league game. All right. Now, I have seen a couple of guys that a partner should have run, okay, that they didn't, and it really wasn't my place to go do it, all right, like a guy that strikes out, and then he's going to the dugout, and he, you know, whips his bat, like, you know, 75 feet into the dugout. Okay, um, that's probably ejectable. Now, of course, it matters. Did you call him out on strikes, or did he just strike out swinging and go over there? I saw a guy strike out swinging, whips his bat. You know, he's all ticked off at himself or whatever. It's not necessarily on the umpire, but that's terrible. Then I hear his um, teammates getting on him, which they should. Like, you know, what the heck, you know? Um, so I've seen a few situations like that where guys have done some ridiculous things and maybe shouldn't have, you know, been left into the in the game. I ejected the guy that, you know, the guy was playing shortstop, and he was like the, you know, I don't know, the manager of the team. And there was some check swing situation. He kept complaining about it. I warned him, stop complaining. That's what I had. I don't remember now what it was. Whether <laughs> Obviously, it must have been he thought he swung and I didn't call it because the guy ended up on first base. Um, so now I'm in the middle of the field. He keeps complaining after I warned him. And then I just eject him for arguing balls and strikes. I mean, what am I going to do? You know, I'm not going to sit there and listen to somebody all the time. So you, you give your warnings. You do it just like you do any other time. You got to handle those guys just like that. So like you say, that is an opportunity to learn your game management. Um you know, there's different clientele that you have out there. The teams have different makeup. Um, and if they want to get ultra competitive and all that kind of stuff, then I guess you just got to take care of business. You have your protocols uh, and you got to follow them. And if you do that and, uh, you know, have to eject somebody, then you probably won't lose any sleep over it because you did the right stuff. Right. So that that is my suggestion. Just try to, you know, Make sure you know your protocols for how you handle stuff and just do it, man, and step up and take care of business um, as you need to. All right, hopefully that answers your questions there, Robert. And if anybody else has any questions or comments about that stuff, feel free to, to let me know. Well, I've been really lucky lately to get some listener feedback and I got another uh, message from Steve Dobeck uh, this time via Facebook Messenger through the the Hammer podcast Facebook page which is a great way to contact me as well if that works better for you and his message read I love your podcasts and the insight you give umpires of all levels so thank you Steve I've been an umpire for about five years and work between 50 and 75 games a year, mainly three to four high school games a week, and then one to two summer ball games per week. A topic I would love to hear you talk about in the future would be ejections. Uh, talking with different people and reading forums, it seems like guys either eject really quickly and get a bad reputation for it, or take hours of abuse, which makes the coach think they can do it to every umpire. Another topic I would love to hear is gamesmanship, and bench chatter amongst the teams. How much talk is appropriate from each team, and when do you decide to shut it down? I've worked some high-level high school games where the benches didn't stop talking through the entire game. Nothing inappropriate was said, but it was, it was exhausting to listen to 
for two hours. Uh, I bet it definitely was exhausting to listen to for two hours. We don't want to do that. So two great questions that I'd like to give my opinions on. I think we'll, we'll talk about the um, bench jockeying. I think that's more the official term for that. And I think this is a topic that, uh, or, or a skill, I guess, that comes with, um, you know, more and more games under your belt. And, and you've got quite a few games under your belt over the last few years. But um, I think it comes to a point where you don't, you know certain things can lead to other things, particularly if the other team is saying things to their opponent, particularly to the pitcher, right? Particularly if it gets personal and they're saying something about the way the guy looks or the way he throws or his skill level or something like that. And I don't really care what level this is, you know, if it's Little League all the way up through college baseball or whatever it might be. I know pro baseball might be different, but, you know, I'm talking about amateur baseball here. We can't have that. And you've got to shut that stuff down, you know, if you're the one hearing it. Um, if you, you know, whether you're the, uh, the plate guy or you're working a, a base or maybe you're the only guy out on the bases, you hear that, you got to basically tell them, hey, we're not having that. We're not saying that kind of stuff to other people. And then if you have to, and, you know, if it gets to that, then I guess you got to issue warnings and you might have to go the ejection route, but I've never really seen it really work that way. Usually if you shut it down forcefully, um, then they, they take it as that. They might think you're the, the no fun umpire or something, but you're like, Hey, I'm not going to have that. We're not going to be yelling stuff at the other team. We're not doing that. Right. So you have to like, you know, call time and, you know, you know, I usually give like the stop sign kind of thing. Hey, we're not doing that. We're not, that's not how we're handling things. We're not saying stuff to the other team. And I've had it before in a summer collegiate game where both teams were kind of doing that, getting back and forth. One guy had said something about, you know, somebody sliding gloves or something. Like, you don't need your sliding gloves because the guy struck out or something like that. And somebody else said something to somebody. So they both kind of got their digs in. And I'm like, all right, time, hey. And I kind of warned both teams that we're not doing that stuff anymore. And that did shut it down. Now, there's always that smart out guy in the dugout that might want to try to take it the extra mile. And if you can pick that guy out, then you can specifically warn him or, um, you know, you might have to eject. It's usually um, a PO, <laughs> okay, pitcher only, you know, right? Or some guy that's, you know, starting pitcher from yesterday or doesn't play a whole lot that's on there that doesn't really have anything better to do than to yell silly things at people and try to be funny, right? That's usually what it gets you. And, and sometimes stuff is funny, but it gets personal and guys start getting ticked and, and different guys handle things different ways. So that's really what I've found seems to work and at every level. And I've, I've seen um, umpires that I've worked with handle it that way. And then I, I decided myself, hey, okay, okay, that's good, man. I'm going to do that too. I'll be the guy that stepped up and does that. And that is definitely something to pregame and talk about to cut that stuff out. And you got to nip it early. First, second inning, man, you hear it. You can't let it go five innings and then like, okay, hey, none of that stuff, guys, when they've been doing it all game. You got to get it early and say we're not. That's not how this game's going, and it doesn't matter if some other team, you know, you know, that they were playing against with some other umpires let them do it. Not in this game, okay. So that's what I've got about the uh, bench jacking. You know, it is against the rules too. You know, I mean, there are things in uh, conduct and stuff that people are supposed to have. You know, there's bench jacking terms. In the rule book that you know we should be familiar with, and uh, we can't have that stuff because it just leads to to bad blood, 
and then bad situations down the road. So it's preventative umpiring. So the other thing you had was ejections, right? And um, I guess you know that you're a good ejection umpire if when you make ejections, you know the guy kind of ejected himself. I mean, that's really what we're looking for, whether it's a coach or a player or what have you, all right? So I know there's lots of different... Uh, viewpoints out there on that and i'm not saying mine is necessarily you know the best i know guys that eject a lot of people and and usually they're probably legitimate reasons but there is also skill and being able to diffuse situations uh to get um, players or coaches particularly players to remain in the game and let them know that you know whatever they're doing is unacceptable and you give proper warnings and you let them make those choices, all right? I mean, obviously, there are certain things, if they come out MFing you or something like that, and they're telling you how terrible you are and this and that right away, then, you know, that's almost an immediate ejection. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about, you know, things that are a little bit more debatable. We, and we know there can be a variety of those kind of things. So um, being quick to eject is not necessarily the best thing. And I guess it's always about being a good listener as an umpire. If somebody comes out and they have a problem with something that happened in the game and you, you ask them a question, you know, you know, you have a question or something and you kind of get them talking and you see what it is. And a lot of times if they have a little beef and they're decent about it and then they move away from the situation and they return to their spot on the field, then you can let it go as long as it didn't get personal, right? And not looking for something to happen. Um, I, that's tough sometimes, especially if somebody's been barking at you, you know, about different things throughout the game. And there's guys that are very skilled at pulling up short of the line. They don't go over the line on things. And, and sometimes you just got to give those guys credit. They're able to do that, right? But if there is an ejection, um, you've got to get away from the situation, right? So if you do eject, you walk away, you let your partner come in and be rodeo clown and take care of the coach. Uh, if it's college baseball, of course, they can get, you know, additional suspensions for prolonged arguing. Um, so, and that would come from the other umpire, not the home plate umpire or base umpire, whoever did the ejecting. It's, it's the other guy, one of the other guys out there, or there might only be one other guy, right? So you've got to pregame all that stuff as well. How you're going to handle it if there's an ejection, um, you know, remind each other that you're walking away from the situation after the ejection happens. Um, if there is a dispute or something on the field, you try to make it so it's a one-on-one -on -one situation. But obviously, if something's getting a little heated, you know, the partner or partners, you know, can get within earshot to hear things. And you keep your composure. And, you know, the best thing is that uh, you, you keep as silent as possible and only say what you need to say. Because, as, you know, Rich Fetchett says, Silence can't be quoted, right? So you don't try to make it uh, make it a bigger thing than what it already is. Um, there are times where you need to eject people. You know, sometimes guys do things. You give them the warnings. You do things the right way, your protocols. And they still do not want to behave the way they're supposed to. And you have to eject them. Because if you don't, then you'll get the reputation of the guy that can be walked over, Right? But you don't want to be the guy that gives the warning and then two seconds later is ejecting people and you're kind of, you know, the rabbit ears kind of guy and you're real quick to eject people either, okay? So you want legitimate ejections. If you're doing that, then you're fine. 
I've had years, you know, where, you know, I work, I usually work, you know, 100 plus games at least every year. And I've had years where I've had seven or 10 ejections. And then this last year, I worked around 100 games or so. I didn't have any ejections. And I think, I don't know if, I think a lot of that had to do with the COVID protocols and guys having to come to the line and not being as, as easy to, um, to, um, you know, argue plays and stuff like that. So I, I think, in a way, that's kind of a good thing, right? But, you know, some years are different than others. Sometimes it seems like you, you'll go months and months or maybe, you know, half a season or maybe the whole season like I did this year, and you don't have any ejections. And then next year, I could have 15. Who, who knows? I mean, it matters what kind of games you have, what kind of clientele you're dealing with. Um, it all kind of comes and goes. It's just like, you know, when you're working a plate, sometimes you don't get hit by anything. You know, never get hit in the mask. You don't get hit on the arm. You might go plate job after plate job for weeks and nothing happens. And then in one week, you get hit six times. Okay, so um, I think ejections are like that too. So you just got to deal with them as they come. Hopefully, Steve, that answers your questions a little bit there. Um, those are my opinions. If others have other opinions, I'd be happy to hear them. And I'd be happy to hear what you think about it as well, Steve. Feel free to uh, leave a, a voice message through the Anchor app. Anybody can do that as well. And I'd love to use those things on the show in the future. But nonetheless, I really appreciate you uh, giving me a question and something to talk about uh, that you know is maybe important to some people or, or some things that some others out there might be thinking about as well. Well, we've reached the conclusion of another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. I thank you for sticking with me to the end, and I certainly thank all those listeners out there that are my diehard week after week or podcast after podcast. It hasn't really been week after week lately, but every episode that comes out, you're out there listening. Um, I, I really appreciate Scott and Robert and Steve for uh, sending in messages to me, giving me some good things to talk about that I think are pertinent to many of you out there. And if you have any of those other kind of questions, any of my listeners, uh, feel free to send those in to me. I hope you guys have a good fall and things are starting out well for you. Um, you know, as you might know, I'm a high school teacher. So the school year has started already for me. I've been sweating out the first week or so. Um, there's air conditioning in some of the rooms in my building, but not in my particular room, maybe next year. And it's been pretty hot here in Michigan um, recently. So we'll see how that goes. I'm looking forward to some things here in the fall, helping out with the camp and some of the newer umpires and getting them moving in the right direction and, and maybe uh, picking up a few games myself uh, to keep myself sharp and and uh, work on a few things that I always need to work on when I'm umpiring. So I hope you guys are staying safe and uh, thinking about what you are going to try to accomplish next season as as the spring rolls around but this fall time is a time to get some of that rolling going to a camp working on techniques that you need to work on uh, in your fall umpiring where the pressure maybe is a little bit less and uh, getting yourself in the right mind frame and um, also the right physical condition to have a great season in 2022 until next episode you guys keep calling strikes <laughs>